0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords.
1: and My name is John Keeley. This is a podcast segment of our show that is not broadcast on station KAOA. Our guest for the 388th show is Dr. Amy Bix, professor of history at the Iowa State University, who will be talking to us about her book, Girls Coming to Tech, A History of American Engineering Education for Women. Our history buffs are Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. Terry, you get to start us off this time.
2: Thank you. Well, Dr. Bix, I was wondering, could you talk about the role Vassar College had on women in the engineering field in the early years? vassar college in particular or yes or mit
0: terry do you have somebody you know at at vassar college
2: oh no i just had read a portion of the book and i know vassar college had often been uh referred to um but i know it's also one of your chapters is on women at mit if you would like to uh talk about that
3: Right, right. So part of what's going on here is that, as I Mm -hmm. mentioned, there's a very different history of women in science than in the history of engineering. And the United States had a number of women's colleges that were established in the 1800s, of which Vassar was one of the early leaders, the Seven Sisters. And they did a tremendously important job graduating women in all the sciences, pretty much through the late 1800s into the 20th century. The women's colleges, such as Vassar, have fabulous programs in (laughs) physics, biology, chemistry. But the thing is, none of them really taught engineering. It was just too much of a masculine science. So for the for women in engineering, they really had to go to one of the land grants or someplace like MIT. MIT is an interesting case. Um, you have a woman named um, Ellen Swallow who got her undergraduate degree from Vassar and then went to MIT for – she wanted to get a graduate degree, but basically they wouldn't let her. They wouldn't admit women as – on the same terms as the male undergraduates, so they let her in as what they called a special student. On the good side, that meant she didn't pay tuition. On the negative side, it meant MIT was set up to deny her existence if they weren't happy with it. But that basically set the stage for MIT to eventually admit women about a decade later in the 1880s, but then they really remained just a handful until about the 1950s and 1960s.
0: Okay. Um, Rick, I know that you were involved in one of those STEM programs, um, you know, in terms of, of training, particularly for engineering and, and uh, mechanics and so forth. I was wondering yeah. if you want to talk for a minute mm-hmm. about that and, and uh, see what Amy thinks of programs like what you were doing.
4: Well, I, I my question actually, and I was going to give a very long uh, seventeen minute uh, preface to my question uh, about the current barriers to uh, in society now in twenty twenty beyond to getting women interested in in uh, uh, engineering, and it's 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 uh, part of twenty oh actually thirty two years <clears throat> of trying to get. Uh, uh, men and women in, uh, interested in my, uh, you know, doing the engineering and the repair work in that uh, company I work for, that small equipment manufacturing company from Central Illinois, and what we found was the perception of of the field is it's not sexy. It's not, you know, it could be dirty, it could be messy, it could be it could be hard, but the, the thing is, we face the, the main barrier we had, and we were working with, uh, with uh, high school and early college students. The mothers were the ones who opposed their children going into these fields. So, Amy, uh, I'm curious, what are the current barriers that, that you see in your research to women entering engineering and the mechanical trades?
3: Well, that's a great question. Um, There, so the thing is, it's not. There are not the. You don't get quite so much of the flat-out rejection that you had decades ago, where a woman applies to Georgia Tech and she's told flat-out, "No, you can't come here. It's male only." So a lot of the most overt barriers have gone, but in some ways it makes some of the remaining ones even harder to get rid of. So as you said, part of it is just the image of engineering among young women, young men, and their families. And the National Academy of Engineering, among other groups, has done a lot of research on this to try to figure out what's going on there. And part of what they've concluded is that A lot of what young women are looking for in careers is, okay, good money, a good job path, that's certainly important, but they also want what's called altruistic currency, a sense that they're doing something valuable, something important, something, a way to give back. So a lot of the publicity to try to get women into engineering has emphasized ways that, as they say, girls can make a difference in engineering by doing things like working on solar power, and things that actually have a social impact. So that's part of the campaign to get women into engineering, to think of it as having these broader social connections rather than just crunching numbers or going out in the field. Unfortunately, another thing that happens is you look at the headlines and stories that come out about discrimination, harassment in Silicon Valley, the... Episodes that have come out in recent years about bias and harassment at places like Uber and other big-name companies, that's a discouragement. So Silicon Valley currently is working hard, at least on paper, to try to fight that perception and create a more welcoming climate. But it's no simple matter. So that's part of what's going on.
0: Okay. Um, Amy, I have a question that kind of goes along with that. Um, One of the trends that seems to be happening or accelerating is the idea of having uh, robotics become more and more a part of of the process of manufacturing and in fact of robots now in the process of manufacturing more robots Um, my question is obviously somebody has to design and engineer those robots but is the field at the moment starting to to find itself shrinking as the number of people who are actually needed to do this is, is dropping because so much of it is becoming automated. And I'm wondering then, how is that affecting job prospects for, for women in a field where it's already maybe a little hard to, to break yourself in?
3: Well, you've actually magically connected back to my very first book, which was, was on the history of technological unemployment, the fear of machines throwing people out of work. So that's been a question ever since the Great Depression, really, to what extent is mechanization displacing human beings? And I think what we found really over the decades is that it's not like machines are going to take over tomorrow and instantly wipe out all the jobs. The way things work is that new economic sectors evolve and... We're always going to see demand in this country, not just for technology, but for things that really demand the human touch. As remarkable progress as there's been in robotics, it's amazing to see robots walking, jumping, leaping, the fine touch that they didn't have just a few years ago. There's still always going to be, for the foreseeable future, plenty of jobs that need human touch, human discernment, human judgment. The problem is that, People who are displaced from one area of the economy, when it changes to reduce the jobs, they don't always have the training to go instantly pick up another job in an area where jobs have appeared. So a lot of it is a matter of job retraining. And, you know, that's a question where it fits in with bigger questions about gender and the job market, particularly when you get an economic downturn. Does that disproportionately hurt some groups of the population more than others? What about ongoing questions in this country regarding access to child care and family leave? Those are all big issues that you can't separate out from the future of women in the job market. Mm
1: Okay. Okay. Um, question here, Amy, uh, I remember um, Jay and I are history majors, so that means we can't count. But I went to school with uh, a bunch of engineers, and they were always arguing which field of engineering was the most difficult. And then you, of course, had the, electric, uh, uh, the, ele- um, the electrical and the aerospace saying that they were the highest, the mechanical, chemical, yada, yada, yada. What areas when they were when women were trying to find a field of engineering, did the institutions try to have them go in certain directions for obviously sexist reasons? Or was it um uh, pretty much just a, a wall to all of them?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um to this day the various sub disciplines of engineering do have substantial differences in the relative numbers of women they attract. And that's a really complicated question to try to figure out why some disciplines of engineering attract more than others. Some of it, at least part of it in a few fields, may connect back mm-hmm. to what we already talked about, engineering social relevance. In the 1970s, when the environmental movement was just getting going, some people thought that rise of environmental science and environmental engineering would have a particular appeal to young women and that might be a way to draw more women into the field it worked a little bit it's not quite as simple as that but that's sort of an ongoing discussion do different areas of engineering have a different appeal and if so why
2: okay
0: terry i think you get the honor of having the last question
2: Thank you. Yes, Dr. Bix, you mentioned earlier, you know about uh, Google um, issues and barriers, harassment, perhaps, and, in Silicon Valley and so on for women. So I had read in 2017 that women are twice as likely to leave the field, uh, the tech field, after 10 years uh, because they aren't getting perhaps the level of credit or recognition and opportunities for that promotion for for promotion. Do you still see that as a problem today? Oh, yes,
3: absolutely. There are a lot of people who are looking at what's happening in Silicon Valley and the tech industry, and you're absolutely right. There is a disproportionately high number of women who leave that area. They go to other things. They create startups. They go into entrepreneurship just 10 years or so after they start. And increasingly what they say is that it's not as if they're leaving for family reasons that's sometimes cited but it's not that simple a lot of them as you say feel frustrated they feel as if they're fighting uphill against discrimination and skepticism they feel as if they don't have access to promotions and that's something that a lot of people are talking about and It really does make a difference because you think about how vital science and technology are to the economy and to this country. You know, sometimes people say, well, why does it matter if women aren't going into technology as much? Well, for one thing, though, they're cool careers. They pay good salaries. But more than that, you think about what a growing share it is of the economy and of everyday life. And there's been a lot of recent scholarship about why it makes a difference, you look at algorithms, and there's been a lot of scholarship about what happens if you get discrimination built into algorithms. For instance, something like facial recognition, some of the new algorithms, tests suggests that some of these facial recognition algorithms have more trouble recognizing women's faces than men's, more trouble recognizing African-American faces than white male faces. So bias is literally built in. You look at something like automobiles and airbags, it took years for them just to make a female crash test dummy. And to this day, some people say that In automobile crashes, women have a disproportionately higher rate of injury and death, and some people say that's because the industry still takes the male body as the norm. And in some ways, it's the same thing with medicine for really decades new doctors were taught about the male body as the norm and for instance with a heart attack women often present with different symptoms than a man with a heart attack women need to know that doctors need to know that So that's one reason why diversity is so important. You know, it's not like all women are going to ask the same questions, but by and large, the more diversity you get in the engineering and scientific workforce, you have a greater chance of having science and technology that addresses different needs, that asks different questions. So that's part of the reason why it's so important to keep focusing on all this.
0: All right. Well, we would like to thank our guests for this 388th show, Dr. Amy Bix professor of history at Iowa State University, who talked to us about her book, Girls Coming to Tech, A History of American Engineering Education for Women. Our history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 PM. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K A L A H D two in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio All One Word in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at KALA St. Ambrose University.